Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we interview highly successful workplace wellness executives, experts, and entrepreneurs, and learn how they have found success where happiness meets business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast. And I have to tell you that I am so excited to interview today's guest, Dr. Koji Sydney Mackay. Now, Koji, I have to tell you, first of all, we met in Hawaii, right? And I was so impressed by you. Obviously, you weren't in black and white that day <laughs> like you are today. But I was so impressed by you that I, I don't know how long I sat down just asking you questions about where you came from, how you've achieved the heights of the American dream, success in the corporate world, and you're solving so many problems for organizations. I can't tell you how just I was engrossed by your story. And if you don't mind, could you tell us how you became Dr. Koji Sidney Mackay, please? <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Dr. Pele. The, the, the respect is mutual. So thank you, first of all, for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Um, my story, much like yours, is, you know, it starts, starts in Africa. Um, I, I grew up in a family that was amazing and fantastic. Uh, nine of us in the family, my mom and dad, and lots of cousins coming in and out, grandparents. So I've always been in the circle and in the environment of having a lot of people around me. And, and one of the things that I wanted to do, honestly, was to be like my, my siblings. My siblings all went to boarding school. Um, I got to go to boarding school for one semester. My parents brought me back because the program that they had at this particular school wasn't a pure science school. And you know what I'm talking about, right? With, with yeah. African parents, they're yeah. so particular on you doing the pure sciences. It yeah. has to be chemistry. Yeah. It has to be biology. It can't be environmental <laughs> science. And, and, if, so, and if those fail, then maybe you have to be a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because in their minds, every single one of the kids has to be a doctor. Yeah. And then if they have to be, they get to be a lawyer. But what was very interesting about that experience is wanting to be like my siblings. They played basketball because they were in high school at that time. And in Zambia, you don't really play basketball, at least at the time when I was growing up, you didn't play basketball before eighth grade. And so here I was in primary school, uh, learning to play basketball with my siblings that were much bigger and much faster than I was. But I, I ended up developing an edge because my brothers were bigger and, and faster than I was. And so were their friends. They would let me play with them every now and then. So I had to play against people who were bigger, faster, and really smarter because they knew the game a lot more than I did. So when I started playing basketball with my own peers, I had an edge. And so for me, it was always important to not just develop that edge, but to sharpen that edge. And it's in that development and sharpening of that edge that my American dream began because an opportunity came for me to leave Zambia after playing basketball for the national team as well as uh, professionally to come to the U.S. potentially to play basketball at the University of Houston. And that's really how my, my dream began. And that's how I ended up in Texas and in the U.S. Wow. <clears throat> what a story. And you know that my favorite part of your story is your concept of developing an edge through hardship, it seems, because it was yeah. because you, you were interacting with people who were naturally bigger than you, or as you said, faster than you, you had to, you know, strengthen something else up. It's like you grew some new muscles. And that concept of developing and sharpening an edge is behind everything you do today. In fact, I think it seems to be behind why you are so passionate about the idea 
of turning potential into performance. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the field of psychology and how that has led you to this concept of turning potential into performance. Um, I got into this completely by mistake. Mm. It was not my plan. Uh, my plan was to follow what my parents told me to do, which is mm -hmm. go into the sciences and, and do something extraordinary that, you know, with your mind in that way. Mm -hmm. And the big mistake I made through my, my first two years of college is I was doing what I was told to do, but I also had to take other courses to fulfill the requirements. And I took a communication class and it was a public speaking class. And my instructor essentially told me, if you don't do something with this skill, um, you would have wasted a skill. And so he was telling me that I had an edge for me to get in front of people and talk to them and share my story. And through that and taking a psychology class, I decided to marry those two things, being able to speak to people, but also being able to understand how the human mind and the human brain works. And through that process, everything changed. My major changed and I started to go down a path that was going to lead me towards being able to help people do much more. Uh -huh. Back then, they had a course called a human development course. Uh -huh. And it's a course that really helps people develop more of who they are in, in varying areas and in varying skills. And so it's that type of mentality that got me into this line of work. And it's been an amazing trip because now I get to help people really transition from that area of life where they've got certain abilities. And then I help them sharpen those abilities and then we bridge the gap and move them over to performance. Mm -hmm. Now, for the record, I generally do not believe that everyone has potential. Mm -hmm. I know that is not the PC thing to say. The truth mm -hmm. is we all don't have potential in everything. Mm -hmm. you, you can't be anything that you want to be. I'm six foot two and a quarter. I cannot be a flight attendant on a regional jet. Mm -hmm. It's unsafe for everyone, including me. So I can't be in everything that I want to be. So in that area, I don't necessarily have potential. My job is to go in and help, help organizations, first of all, create the criteria that tells them what potential looks like in any department. Mm -hmm. And then once we discover what that potential looks like, we can turn it into regular performance because it's yeah. not enough for you to be good at something. Yeah. You have to translate that into actions. And when you translate that into actions, it leads to, to better performance. You know what's interesting is that one of the things I learned about you early on is that you're not afraid to buck the trend or, or leave the status quo <laughs> behind because you will say stuff like what you just said. I mean, that's a little bit on the edge, right, of, of controversy, but I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I think I shared with you that um, I have a saying that, you know, many of us can desire to go to Mars, but none of us are, are NASA. You know, we, we, don't, right. we don't have the resources and the capability. And so maybe part of the, 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 the intelligence and the skill is to know what you can and can't and shouldn't do um, as a starting point. But along those lines, I think that that actually helps you. I'm sure it helps you in the way you are. You come off as a coach because you told me once and I'm going to share this right now. You probably don't even know what I'm about to say. You told me once you said, Pele, do not take your head off. <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, you, you gave me an assessment and you looked at me, you said, okay, here's the image that I think works for you. Keep your hat on. <laughs> and do you know, do you know, Koji, that I have done exactly what you've said from, from that day onward? You know, so I think you have an insight into things and people and you make assessments of people 
quickly. And that must help you in your, in your coaching. But let's get to that point about um, coaching. Now, your organization does everything. You guys do the assessments, the psychometrics, uh, all the way through to the coaching and consulting. Tell us a little bit about what goes into assessments and coaching and the work that you do for people today. One of the things that I've always thought about is if we're going to help people really thrive, because that's, that's what I believe our organization is, is there for. That's what I believe I was put on this earth for, is, is honestly to help people find ways in which they can thrive, right? We use behavioral science to help people thrive. And part of recognizing that is what are the behaviors that allow me to thrive and what are the behaviors that help me essentially just to survive? Every day, every single one of us has choices that we have to make. We have choices that we get to make, we have choices that we have to make, and each of those choices lead us down a particular path. I want to be able to look at myself independent of my, my own thought and say, what are the things that are working and what are the ones that aren't? And with assessments, that's a great starting point because we use those as diagnostic tools. They're not really put together to put people into neat little boxes. You know, you are this personality type, you are that personality type. We use them specifically to open a person's mind up to who they really are independent of, say, a person's input or view of them. And so when a person gets to have that, now they have a language that they can use to describe their strengths. My whole focus when we do all our assessments isn't to show what people are terrible at, it's to show them what they are good at mm. and show them ways in which they can do more of what they're good at and learn how to mitigate the areas where they're not necessarily strong. So once they start at the assessment phase, then we can decide, is it coaching that they need from here? Is it a development session that they need next? Uh, we can decide each and every one of those. But initially, we want people to develop a language of strengths, meaning mm -hmm. I am good at A, B, and C, and it's A, B, and C that drives my performance every day. I'm not really good at, at D and E, but I mitigate those because I've got somebody on my team who's good at those areas, or I pass those, those areas on to somebody else, just like somebody else will pass their... Um, challenges over to me because they're a strength for me yeah no no that's that's powerful and i love the positioning of how the assessments you do for example no matter how how much psychology jargon is involved are really to help people know what's good about them and what strengths they they they, they, they can continue to use i mean to simplify this back to my hat analogy, you were basically telling me that I, I look good with my hats on. <laughs> you I, know? I agree. Yeah, it's and, your and, thing. And, yeah, and you're trying to be nice too, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave that. <laughs> you're being nice to me, so that's fine. But no, I, I want to learn more about your, your clients, the people that you serve. Um, in light of the fact that not everyone has potential and you do help people recognize their potential and their strengths, what have you found to be if you will, let me use the word ideal clients, the, the kind of companies that you serve today. And what challenges do you find them struggling with as organizations when you first come in contact with them? I guess I'll start with the challenges. Interestingly enough, whether the client we're working with is a multi-billion dollar company or a million dollar small firm, whatever mm -hmm. that difference is amongst, amongst them, they're challenged with the same issues. Um, you and I have talked in the past um, about this concept of soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. People, people, you know, really skittish about developing people's soft skills. I mentioned to you that 
for the most part, we don't use the word soft skills. We use employability skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife put it, put, really put it best while having this conversation uh, around this idea. And really, it comes down to this fact that your technical skills will get you the interview, but it's your employability skills that'll get you the job. And usually that's the thing that will help you continue to maintain your job and get promoted and, and increase your performance. Most organizations spend a lot of money on developing technical skills, whether that's because that's a requirement by law for certain components or not. That's just how our brains are built. Yeah. And organizations are a bunch of people with brains. Yeah. So the organization itself is not the issue. It's that the folks who are leading these organizations may have a perspective that says, oh, we don't really need to worry about emotional intelligence, or oh. we don't need to really worry about critical thinking skills. Yeah. What we really need to work on is to make sure that this other skill is taken care of. Yeah. Let me give you a quick example. Customer service. People assume that customer service itself is a technical skill. It isn't. It's, an, it's really an employability skill. It's your ability to communicate effectively, to make eye contact. It's your ability to engage with somebody while still checking them out at the grocery store. That's an employability skill mm-hmm. because employability skills create an environment where a person can have a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. The reason we go back and shop at certain places is because <laughs> they have given us a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. So all these organizations are just hungry for transformative experiences, whether they are a software company, whether they're a a beer company, whatever version of the organization is, that's something that they all crave and desire. Mm-hmm. And because that is missing, they bring folks like me in to help people realign the way they think about their skills, the way they think about each other. Because most of the problems that happen in an organization are interpersonal. Yeah. They're, not, they're not about anything else other than interpersonal issues. Yeah. You don't like your boss. You don't like the person who you work with. It's not the person or the boss that you don't like. It's something that they do. It's the way they carry themselves. It could be any one of those things. And bring, being able to put a microscope on those things and show how those interactions directly affect how people are enjoying their work, it can make a difference. You know, yeah. Profitability can be tied for a fact. We know the science is pure and true. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tied directly to how joyous and happy people are at work not because their work is easy because we know people who are working really hard jobs Mm -hmm. but they find that happiness inside of their job because they work with some really wonderful people yeah you know you know um the 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 packaging of of the 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 words employability skills i think is just brilliant i love the way you position that in fact there's a saying that goes um people are are hired for skill and fired for fit Right, so it's mm, like yes. they hire you for your for your technical skill, but they eventually fire you because you did not fit in the organization because of those employability skills that you're talking about. Um, let, let's let's shine a little bit more light on the challenges that you find organizations struggle with because there might be someone out there listening to this and wondering, okay, I, I get this, I want to know how this applies to my current organization. You know, are we do we need help? Are we in trouble? Um, I, 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 would get, I would guess that the answer is yes for more people who, than who believe that they are in trouble right now. What do you see in companies today? Honestly, if, 
if any organization or any person in an organization or the person is running the organization or is a part of the organization and feels as if there's nothing that needs to be done, they're a little bit delusional <laughs> because even the most high performing teams are constantly looking for more. Yeah. And that's that edge that we talked about earlier. Mm. There's a saying that my dad used to, used to tell me. My dad is Chokwe, which is the Chokwe's are from the northwest of Zambia. He said, Sokola and Jimbu, Mohini Mukawana. And Jimbu is, the, is an axe head. Mm. And so Sokola means carry or carry your axe head. Jimbu, which is the handle of the axe, you mm-hmm. can find anywhere. As long as there's wood around, you can get a new handle for it. Mm-hmm. And so your axe head is your character. It's the culture of the organization. It's the employability skills. It's the mm-hmm. technical skills that you develop over time. As long as your Jimbu, your, your axe head is consistently sharpened, you can do so much more. Mm-hmm. And so inside organizations, you, know, you, you use an axe long enough, it's going to get dull. Wow. And so our skills are the same way. We use our skills long enough, they're going to get dull. They have to be constantly sharpened. They have to be constantly retooled. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that process is organizations really recognizing that what is it in our organization that is working and how can we make it work even more? And what are the things that aren't working and how can we find ways to leverage our strengths to make sure that those issues don't become issues for too long? And most of the issues organizationally are built around culture. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk about in in organizations is these three, these three essential areas. We Mm -hmm. look at the connection between people um, and between process. Let me start with those two. Mm -hmm. That connection is, is really, really, it's something we have to think about, right? You look at people, how are the people connecting with each other? Mm-hmm. Is there a right fit between all the people from the people who are leading to the people who are doing the following? Because all of us change our role from leader to follower back and forth. Yeah. Um, do, uh, do the processes in our organizations allow these people to actually thrive? Because you can have great people, but the organization has these arcane and insane processes that make things yeah. so difficult, mm-hmm. right? And then technology. Do we have the right technology to allow us to function in a way that makes life much easier for us to thrive? Mm. When you look at just those three things, just as a starting point, as a diagnostic tool, it tells us a lot because if we leverage our people, our technology, and our process well, the culture in the organization is the kind that thrives. It's the kind of culture that is agile. It's the kind of culture that in today's challenging times is needed for us to get past not just COVID, but all the remnants of everything that's going to happen once this um, challenge is, it has gone past. Yeah. So for me, that's kind of the perspective I take. I go into the organization and I ask those three basic questions. Mm-hmm. Do, does your technology support the mission and vision that you have? Are your processes uh, the kind of tools that work well for your people? Mm-hmm. And do you have the right people in there or is everybody simply alike rather than having different types of people in the organization? that lead to this wonderful collective whole. Wow. You know, um, Koji, I have to tell you that, that, first of all, let me ask you, what language did you speak earlier when you spoke a language that is native to Zambia? Which, which of the languages did, did you speak? It was Chokwe. Chokwe, okay. Because I didn't want to yeah. make an assumption because, you know, you know, there are many languages in Africa, right? It's not, <laughs> yes. it's not just Swahili or, you know, my language, Igbo or whatever. But, but we have want, 64 just in Zambia. Just exactly. Now, I want you to know that when you spoke Chokwe, 
I had a physical reaction. I had, I had goosebumps or whatever they call it. Just, just cover me. Because you, one of the reasons you inspire me, and let me just tell you this, you know, when you call yourself your company, uh, Koji Makai Worldwide, okay, Worldwide. One of the ways you inspire me is you are worldwide. I mean, look at that. You, your, your knowledge base and your experience comes from this place that so many people may not have even heard of. And it's just so fresh and so powerful. I just wanted to thank you for speaking Chokwe. <laughs> That's what I wanted <laughs> to say. My pleasure. Yes, yes. <laughs> now let's get back to the topic of I love the people, the processes, and the technology um, focus. You may not remember this, but at the seminar we were in in Hawaii, uh, you gave a, a short speech, and you focused on a, another word. And that word, believe it or not, changed my business. I think I told you this. I, I, I went back and looked at my own business and said, you know, how well am I doing in this area? You know, um, am I just doing things by the numbers? That area was relationships. You talked a lot about your focus on relationships. Tell us how you believe that is part of the work you do. I'm sure it's in there. But just give us a sense of the importance of relationship. We have, you know, we have the, the fortunate blessing of our entire organization being driven by relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, we, are, we are 100% referral. Mm. We don't really advertise. We put information out to help people essentially make decisions on whether they want to have a relationship with us. But at the core, we are 100% referral, whether it's the billion dollar companies that we work with or what we would call a mom and pop, all these organizations come to us because someone trusted us enough to share with them and say, look, here's something that we did that worked well for us. This is the relationship that we have with this organization. We think this is a relationship that you need to have as well. And when we get engaged with a client, we're engaged long-term full time, if you could call it that. Mm -hmm. You can't have that level of engagement if you don't nurture and build relationship. Through this COVID experience, I've been spending most of my time making sure my clients are okay. And so that's 30 or 40 people in, in one organization that I'm sending personal emails, texting them, calling them, making sure them and their family are well. Not because it's the right thing to do, yeah. Not because it's a great marketing thing to do, but it, because it's the, mo- it's the most humane and human thing to do. Why wouldn't I check on my friends? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. I check on them and their families? That just makes perfect sense to make sure that they're okay. And so at the center of relationships is that's who we are as human beings. We're mm-hmm. built around relationship. Even introverts need some level of relationship and connectedness. Mm-hmm. Some of the challenges I've been seeing with our clients at this point is that interpersonal distance that they're experiencing. They're enjoying being able to be with their family, with their kids and their spouse, but they they miss the camaraderie that they normally would have in the office with their team, whether it's with one person or three people. They miss that. Social distancing isn't something that we technically haven't been doing, right? Most of us in the office aren't exactly too close physically, yeah. but being able to be in, in, in constant contact around each other, that human energy, it's amazing. And interpersonally, that's who we are. Most of the problems we have in relationship, they, they, they really grow around interpersonal skills. In a book that I wrote a few years ago, I was talking about puzzle pieces and how all of us are a piece that completes a puzzle for someone 
or somebody else is a piece that completes the puzzle or the picture for us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I shared was that at the crossroad between two people can be the best opportunity for people to really enjoy and discover who they really are, but it can also be the place where the greatest conflicts occur. Mm -hmm. And right now, we're not getting enough of that interaction and connectedness, even though we're using technology like you and I are right now. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of not being able to connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And for most people, in fact, one person said to me yesterday, they said, psychologically, I'm having a hard time because I'm not getting the contact. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's been a spike now with people using their phones much more because people want to hear each other's voice rather than simply text because there are not many voices that they're hearing right now other than the regular ones around their kids and so on. So for me, interpersonally, it's really important. Yeah. I want to build a relationship such that I am a, an extension of what our client does. Mm -hmm. And I am very fortunate that we get to do that for our clients, whether our client is in the oil and gas industry, whether they're in technology, we get to be a part of these innovations that they come up with because we help them stay on course. We help yeah. them stay focused. We help them continue to sharpen their edge and focus on that edge because too many people have tried to do too many different things at the same time mm -hmm. and they lose focus. And, and my, my view of, of focus, there's only one kind of focus. It has to be laser. You can't have it spread all over yeah. the place. It has to be it, laser focus. Because then it's not focus. <laughs> it's something <Correct>. else. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, you mentioned uh, your book that you wrote a while ago, but I'm excited to share that you are about to launch your most recent book. Can you tell us about yes. your, your book, the one you've been writing, the, the, the coming title? And we will share information about that in the show notes. But tell us about your book. I am, I won't lie. I am extremely excited about this book. Yeah. Uh, the book is titled Disrupted. And we started working on this book last year. And then, of course, here we are in the middle of probably the biggest disruption of, I'm going to go with since, since the world wars. Since I this, mean, is, this, this is generational. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is generational. Yeah. Uh, this is insane that we're experiencing this much disruption. And yeah. really, the book is built around the idea that disruption is normal. Uh, we're going to experience disruption, period. Mm -hmm. it's, in essence, we're going, to we're going to experience stress. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ideas was, I guess the subtitle is resiliently reintegrating after stress and adversity. Mm. How do we, essentially, what happens when disruption occurs? In what ways do we as human beings respond? And in the book, I detail how there's, there's four different ways in which we are going to deal with stress and adversity. Mm -hmm. One of those ways is to resiliently reintegrate because once stress comes in, our whole world shatters and we have to rebuild and retool. Some people will rebuild and retool resiliently. Uh, other people will do it with loss where essentially they lose all the skills and the strengths that they had before. Mm -hmm. When you resiliently reintegrate, you come back better, faster, more focused. And that's my hope is that when people read this book, they'll use this current disruption that we're going through to come back better, faster, focused. Wow. Because today we're going to have to deliver for our clients in brand new ways. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to deliver for our children 
in brand new ways for our spouses, for our neighbors. And that's what disruption tends to do. Historically, over time and in our own personal experience, mm-hmm. disruptions, in my mind, they show up to reveal what we do have and what we don't have. Wow. It's like a test that comes in to, to check, you know, it's kind of like a, a check-in test. Mm-hmm. How well are you really doing in this area? Because you, we can talk theory all day about, mm-hmm. man, if this situation showed up, I would respond in, such a, in, in this way. But it's not until you're in, you're in the game that you, really, you realize, okay, um, I don't think my skills are where I thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. Because I just fell apart in this situation when I shouldn't have. So the book essentially details that. It's how can we use different types of tools to not just manage the stress that we're experiencing, mm-hmm. but to use it essentially to sharpen our edge. Wow. Because most people don't use stress to sharpen their edge. Stretch is, stress is an opportunity for them to complain, for them to whine, mm-hmm. for them to lie down and say, that, you know, life is just, you know, is over for me. Everything is falling apart. Mm-hmm. But other people look at stress and say, hey, this is an opportunity for me to do some great things. Yeah. Now, I know that people look at me and they say, well, you're just an optimistic guy. <laughs> I, am. I am. I am super optimistic. I'm the guy that, you know, that if I ever fell out of a plane, I wouldn't be screaming that I was about to die. I would scream that I am finally flying. That would be me. <laughs> right? I love that one, so by the way. I, I get that. But in all reality, I have experienced distress and stress, just like you have, mm-hmm. right? We talked a little bit about my story about getting here. It wasn't as easy and as beautiful as it was, was all laid out. Mm-hmm. There were lots of challenges along the way. And at each step, I had to make a choice. Do I resiliently reintegrate from this situation? Or do I, do I come back in a dysfunctional way? Mm-hmm. Or do I come back where I just kind of, you know, get back to where I was? Uh, one of the things I, sh- I shared in the book is, Lord forbid this ever happens to me, but I just suppose I get cancer of some kind. Mm. People say, you know what, I'm just hoping, you know, we just can't wait for you to bounce back. And I know they mean well. I refuse to bounce back from anything because if I'm going to experience that hardship of dealing with cancer, I want to kick cancer's tail (laughs) and I want to come back even better and stronger. Mm. Bouncing back and coming back to where I was means that I have wasted that experience. Hmm. And life is too short for me to waste those experiences. Right now, I can tell you people are wasting these, this experience and this time of disruption yeah. because they're spending more time you know, binge watching this show or that show. And that's fine. You need to be entertained every now and then. Mm-hmm. But the truth is most people are escaping, trying to pretend as though this thing is not happening. Yeah, yeah. But I've what other that, people sure. are doing is they're nurturing their relationships. They're strengthening and sharpening their skills. And they're preparing their big comeback because that's what this situation is going to teach us all, the people who've been preparing and working hard to sharpen their skills. And that's really what the book is, book is about. It really wasn't intended for us to, to be in the middle of dealing with COVID-19, yeah. Yeah. but we decided to release the book a, a lot earlier so that we can help people manage this experience and come out on the other side uh, having resiliently reintegrated. You know, I can't wait uh, to read it. Um, because, you know, Koji, you know that one of my, let me just say this. One of the things I respect the most is a story that is true. Um, you know, you, in my opinion, you are a leader who has gone somewhere um, and therefore you know where to go and, and um, you can therefore show 
others where to go. So this is real for you. Um, so I can't wait to see the stories that you share in that book and, and so on. Um, it's just, it's going to be fantastic for people who maybe haven't experienced the kind of disruption that, that, that you <laughs> and others uh, have experienced and how you've been able to turn that. It's just powerful stuff. Now, my favorite topic is really the flip side of disruption, which is, you know, a lot of companies will understand when you tell them, hey, disruption, you should solve that problem and, and you should use it and make, make good. But when you talk to them about what you've described as employability skills, or I might call culture or leadership or, or happiness, these skills that people maybe sometimes don't understand add up to profitability and to business success. How do you help people to make the, connect the dots, for example, that if you can use disruption to create the, the positive side of these skills, you will see business growth. How do you help people see that link? Well, one of the things, I'm a scientist. Um, mm -hmm. I am a scientist through and through. And so as a behavioral scientist, it's something that I absolutely enjoy is being able to play with the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, when I work with organizations, there's two sides that I will try to work with, right? So on one side, we're talking about the story component. Mm -hmm. um, in my research, my, my role is always a, as a phenomenologist. I really want to study the, the lived experience of people. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, I want to be able to collect what people call hard data, so numbers. Mm -hmm. So if I can use the mixed methods version of showing people that, it makes all the difference. One of our clients that we're working with, he and I had a meeting, we had a breakfast meeting, and I gave him some ideas of how he could use a certain level of employability skill to really highlight certain aspects of how he's running his sales department as a VP of sales. Mm -hmm. and. An hour or two later, I got a message from him saying, hey, that advice that you gave me, I decided to implement it in this way and that way, and it led directly to this much in sales. Mm. And so we can create that line that shows that profitability is tied very closely to those employability skills mm -hmm. because it requires implementation. Now, that's the key right there is implementation. I try to teach our clients and to live by this creed of, to, of having a bias towards action. People love to attend seminars and do all these different things and be on webinars and all these other, you know, learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. Those things are wonderful. The hard work comes in when it comes to implementation. Yeah. So the bias towards action forces people to actually do something with this. To me, that's a transformational experience. Mm. I don't want to create learning opportunities for people because I believe there's people who can create even better learning opportunities than I could. But my job is to create a transformational experience. So for my buddy, I will call him JP. For JP, mm -hmm. that was a transformational experience because he had never thought about doing what I told him to do from that perspective. He mm -hmm. just had never crossed his mind. And he trusted me enough to go out there and try it. So that's one additional believer that now understands that technical skills are fantastic and they are necessary. Just like I, I have to have them and you have to have them. It's our employability skills that allows us to earn the trust of clients. Yeah. It's our employability skills that allow us to earn the opportunity to be on people's podcasts and, and to, to do all these things that you and I both do. So in order for us to be able to do that, we have to create that, that environment that says, you need to understand there's a direct link between the things we are talking about. Mm -hmm. Every learning event we do for our clients we always point to a very clear business case mm -hmm. for them learning this employability skill. 
And in that business case, we show them, and this is in the training, not in a proposal, not in a recommendation. This is mm -hmm. actually in a development session mm -hmm. that says, if you develop this skill, this is where you would be leading to. You yeah. develop this skill, this is where you would be leading to. And organizations, especially those that love those hard numbers, that's the best way for them to, to have a better handle and understanding. Because once you start to show people those kinds of things, it makes all the difference. Let me give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. One of my one of my good friends was running an, uh, a sales organization of about two hundred people, and every single year he was losing a hundred of those people mm. turnover. Wow! And we're going to be kind and say that uh, hiring costs are ten thousand dollars. So you do the math, yeah. right? Ten thousand dollars times a hundred people. It's about a million. That's what a million dollars. I think my math is good. That's a million dollars a year wow. just in hiring costs. If I could help him retain 25% of those people, that's a direct link to $250,000 in savings. Mm -hmm. Most organizations don't see it from that perspective yeah. because most of what we do is intangible. You can't mm -hmm. touch it. You can't feel it. Yep. But there's a tangible side to all of this, whether it's you know, profitable happiness. I love the name of the podcast. You and I have had these conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for the most part, happy employees usually bring profits to the organization because yeah. it's hard for you to be happy if you're doing a terrible job. Yeah. Because nobody wakes up in the morning saying, hey, I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to do a terrible job. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, what? The one key word that, that I think you've shared that I want to highlight is implementation. Yeah. You, know, be, you know, I love how you gave the example of the, the sales organization that over time, could see how their numbers created real income from the work that you were doing. Because, you know, as they say, you can't learn to play soccer at a seminar, right? You, you got to take the soccer and go play it on the field. <laughs> and you Correct. do, you, you, that example alone shows me that your, your, your interventions, your assessments, even the training work that you do, it's really all about the long-term coaching and effect and, and, and outcomes. So, so that's, that's powerful stuff. Thank you. I, I always love to hear other people's perspective on how we connect these intangibles, as you say, to profitability. But, you know, Koji, I have to remember that you and I could talk for like all day, you know that, but, but, <laughs> but I got to wrap up because of our time constraints. I'd love to know what you're most excited by right now. And, uh, you know, just share with us any new projects. Maybe it's the book. And then how we can get a hold of you. Um, if anybody wants to learn more from you or even have you come into their organization, how do they get in touch with uh, your organization? I think the things that we're, right now I know what I'm most excited about is the growth of, of our team. Mm. Um, I have seen them do amazing things in the middle of this um, COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. The people that they are, the, the sacrifices that, they, that they're making yeah. and just the heart that they bring to, to this work that we're doing, it's, it's completely inspirational. They inspire me every single day yeah. and they trust me to, to lead them. Um, one of my good friends shared something with me a few weeks ago and he said, in a time of crisis, leadership is wonderful, but what's most needed is shepherding. Mm. And I have the opportunity right now to shepherd my team through something that's really unprecedented and something that is new for all of us. But because it's new for all of us, 
doesn't preclude us from having to take ownership of what needs to happen in our own lives as we continue to go through through this experience. Yeah. So watching them grow and, and, and continue to be the human beings that they are and the leaders that they are is exciting for me. And so being able to bring out new tools, right? We spend a lot of time face-to-face with our clients, but now we're having to do so much more using technology. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to go through an assessment of our technology. Is it appropriate? for the things that our clients need today. Mm-hmm. Not what they needed three months ago and six months ago, yeah. but what they need today. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to accelerate a lot of the projects that we already had in mind. And interestingly enough, we've been trying to get our clients to do so much more through digital learning. Mm-hmm. And now the opportunity has been created for, for that to happen. So while there, there are portions of this whole situation that are unfortunate and, and, and made some other things for us difficult, yeah. it's nice to know that some of the things we can move up a little bit faster. Uh, the easiest way to get in touch with us is to go straight to our website. We have a place for people to, to ask questions or to have an inquiry, but it's just kojimakai.com. Mm-hmm. Let, let's spell that. It's K-O-Z or Z, mm-hmm. dep- depending mm-hmm. on... <laughs> And how you like Depending to say on where it. you're from. Yeah, where you're from. K O Z H I M A K A I dot com, right? That's correct. Koji, I have to tell you, um, Dr. Mackay, you are an inspiration to me. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, um, your worldwide experience with us. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Dr. Pele. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.